name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you may have noticed that Craig Lothridge, our senior warden, is literally half the man that he used to be. Over the past couple of years, Craig has been on quite a weight loss journey, and it's really been impressive to watch him go through it. I think one of the reasons why people have such a hard time not just losing weight but keeping that weight off is because weight loss is about much more than simply taking a pill or maybe doing one or two things differently. It almost always involves a complete lifestyle change. And while many of us have spent lifetimes developing bad habits around food and eating, getting healthy is about more than just stopping those bad habits. It's also about replacing those bad habits with good habits. So it's not enough to simply stop eating cake and drinking soda. You need to start eating broccoli and drinking water. It's not enough to just decide to stop sitting around on the couch all day. You have to find physical activities that you actually enjoy doing. But most importantly, it's about changing the way that you think about things like food and exercise and really health in general. And Craig will tell you that in a very real way, in order for this transformation in himself to happen, he had to put off his old self in order to put on the new self. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in our reading from Ephesians today. Now, when Matt preached on Ephesians a few weeks ago, he talked about how this particular letter is really broken into two sections. The first section is theological, and the second section is practical. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul talks in some detail about what it means to be a Christian, what we are to believe. And then in the following three chapters, he chapters, he lays out how we are to live in light of what we believe. Now, our reading this morning comes from the heart of this second practical section. And the first and last verse of our reading serve as these wonderful chiastic bookends to what Paul is talking about. In verse 17, Paul says, Now I say and testify in the Lord you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So that's the negative statement that Paul is using, much like saying you should not eat cake and drink soda. Now chapter 5 verse 2 is the positive counterpart to this first statement. And Paul says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul's point is that once a person has been filled with the Holy Spirit, he or she cannot continue to live their lives like the rest of the world does. Because becoming a Christian is about more than simply doing something different for one hour on a Sunday morning. It's a complete change in lifestyle. 
And Paul emphasizes this starting in verse 22 when he tells his readers that they are to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But unlike losing weight, where you have to change your lifestyle first in order to become this new creation, in the Christian life, that change in life uh, happens because of what has already happened. It happens because we have already been made a new creation in Christ. In the next eight verses, Paul gives some examples of what this changed lifestyle looks like. And he continues using this rhetorical pattern of saying, don't do this, but instead do this. Now, as is typical in Paul's writing, he's not giving us an exhaustive list of these are the only things you need to do if you're a Christian. Instead, he's giving us examples that are intended to be extrapolated out into every aspect of the Christian's life. It's also important to note that this discussion is not focused on me as the individual. It's not about how I can be a better person, but rather it's about how our individual behavior affects the church. So the church is really Paul's focus here. And this is vitally important, not only for the overall health of the body of Christ on earth, but it's also a critical aspect of our witness to the rest of the world. After all, when the church mirrors the world in our attitudes, in our behaviors, and in our treatment of each other, The transformative power of the gospel is severely compromised and we become ineffective as proclaimers of the good news. Now, keeping all of this in mind, let's take a look at the examples that Paul offers. The first one deals with anger. Now, I know no one here has ever gotten angry about anything, but we'll just, we'll humor Paul and hear him out. Starting in verse 26, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now this initial phrase, be angry and do not sin, can be a bit confusing. It almost sounds in English as if Paul is saying that it would be sinful to not be angry. Many translations will add a yet or a but into this phrase, rendering it be angry but do not sin. And I think that's a bit closer to Paul's actual intention here. And the issue is not anger itself. In fact, there are things that ought to make us angry. Things like injustice, racism, persecution, and heresy, these ought to produce a righteous indignation in the hearts of all believers. The real issue here is not whether or not we're angry, but rather it's what we do with that anger, especially within the Christian community. Unfortunately, many times we're more concerned about being right 
than we are with being reconciled. And so instead of talking to each other when we're angry, we instead attack each other. Paul is not saying that we need to agree on everything. What he's saying is that we should not hold our disagreements against our Christian brothers and sisters. Being angry with someone does not automatically exclude being kind to them. And our primary concern should always be for the other person. But if my primary concern is showing everyone how right I am or how wrong they are, then it serves only to destabilize the church, and it also compromises our witness to the world. If non-Christians look at us and they see us attacking each other like a bunch of politicians, why in the world would they want to come join us? Why in the world would they want to worship the God that we claim to worship? The next example Paul gives us is the thief who should not steal but instead do honest work so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Now this may seem like a completely random and unrelated example, but if you look closely, you'll notice that there is a consistent theme going through all of these examples. When Paul tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger, he's telling us that we need to be more concerned with the other person than we are with proving how right we are or how wronged we've been. So the focus for Paul is not looking inward, but rather it's looking outward. And the same is true for the second example. So for the thief, his primary concern is his own well-being and, his, and getting what it is that he wants. <clears throat> but instead, uh, but notice that Paul doesn't say that we should do honest work so that we can buy nice stuff for ourselves. Instead, he says it is so we may have something to share with anyone in need. So once again, Paul is taking the focus off of the individual and he's putting it on to the community, the church. So the primary question we always ought to be asking ourselves is not what is best for me, what is in my self-interest, but rather what is best for the church. So if I'm lashing out at someone in anger, is that what's best for the church? If I'm stealing rather than working, is that what's best for the church? The final example continues to build on this theme. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I'm willing to bet all of us, when we were growing up, heard the phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it certainly is a clever thing to say, but it is a lie. It is an absolute lie. 
And I'm confident that each one of us bears the deep and lasting scars from harsh words that have been said to us. We love to use our words to tear each other down and our modern media culture only perpetuates this behavior. Have you noticed that when they have political debates on TV, they no longer address any real political issues? Instead, these events have devolved into a series of personal attacks that are being lobbed back and forth like a ball in a tennis match. And in the end, the winner is usually the person who did the most personal damage to his or her opponent. And of course, we love to mimic this strategy in our own social media interactions and personal relationships. But rather than tearing each other down as a way to build ourselves up, Paul encourages us to use our words to build up our brothers and sisters. In my sermon last week, I mentioned my predecessor, Father Doug. And one of the things I really loved about Father Doug was that he was an encourager. Even when he thought I was doing something wrong or when we disagreed about something, he was always able to tell me in a way that built me up and made me want to do things better. This, unfortunately, is not always the case in all churches. I've heard many stories about former rectors who stick around after they retire only to make life a living hell for the new guy by constantly criticizing everything he does and then bad-mouthing him in the congregation. But Father Doug was more concerned with the church than he was with his own standing. My first day here at All Saints, he told me that he wanted for me to be successful because that meant that the church would be successful. And he never once tried to make me look bad so that he could look good in comparison. This grace that he extended to me not only served to draw the two of us closer together in relationship, but it also strengthened the church as a whole to see the two of us working so well together and encouraging each other for the common good. Well, Paul now sums everything up in verse 32 when he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness only comes when our eyes are outwardly focused rather than inwardly focused. And of course, Jesus is our example of Christian kindness. We are to care for others as Christ cares for them. We are to love others as Christ loves them. We are to forgive others as even we have been forgiven. And we are to sacrifice even as Christ himself has sacrificed, giving his life for the sake of the church. I've spent a lifetime serving in the church, and I love the church with my whole heart, but I can tell you from bitter experience, she has not always been kind. Although we are called to walk in love as Christ loved us, 
Time and time again, we insist on walking as the Gentiles do, putting our own wants and desires ahead of everything else. My prayer for all saints is that this will not be so for you. As you enter into the search process for a new rector, these candidates are going to want to know what kind of church this is. Is the theology good? Is the liturgy reverent? Are the finances stable? And these are all good and important questions to ask, but perhaps the most important question that any candidate can ask is, are the people kind? Do they care for one another? Do they break into factions and fight for their piece of the pie, or do they put the needs of others before their own? Do they care more about being right or being reconciled? Do they use words to tear each other down or to build each other up? Being kind is not something that we are to do from time to time. Christian kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It is a lifestyle that is meant to saturate every single aspect of our lives and everything that we do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not only called, but we are enabled to live into this new life, to put on this new self as those who have been saved by grace. So continue to be all of the wonderful things that All Saints has always been. But above all else, be kind to one another and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Amen.